Good evening, everyone. Tonight, Saturday, <coughs> we're having our English session. And we have three people so far tuned in on the internet, and hopefully the mic is fixed. Last time the mic was using the wrong mic. I'll just give a short talk and then we'll start meditating. The meditation we're practicing is a very specific Buddhist meditation. There are many types of Buddhist meditation. And it's complicated by the fact that we take our meditation from a, di a wide diversity of texts. But if we return back to those texts which claim to be the things the Buddha said during his life, we see a real pattern in the Buddha's teaching. So in all traditions we have, all traditions of Buddhism we have a built-up um, tradition of meditation techniques. In the tradition that I follow, they have 40 different techniques just for quieting your mind. 40 different meditation objects, and then it, it gets very complicated. In, in every meditation tradition, in every Buddhist tradition, they have countless or you know a, a, a great diversity of meditation techniques but when we as I said when we go back to these original texts we have some basic fundamentals um, in terms of how we can construct a truly Buddhist meditation practice see in the in the old teaching in the original teachings or those earlier teachings is that the Buddha was was very um, very clear about the specific meditation practice we call mindfulness he was always stressing this practice that whereas he would teach to very to individual people different things, when he came right out and said, "What is the path of practice that one should undertake in order to become free from suffering?" He always came back to the practice of mindfulness, and specifically the four foundations of mindfulness. So the Buddha didn't just say, be mindful, because when we hear be mindful and we hear people teaching mindfulness meditation, we still don't get a clear idea of, of how to practice. And so mindfulness meditation becomes quite varied in its, in its uh, 
in its forms in the way we practice it. But the Buddha was, was not so general. He was quite specific in terms of how you practice mindfulness. So we don't need to create our own meditation practice. It's quite useful when we go back to these ancient texts and really practice something that we can be sure or, or more or less sure was uh, if not taught by the Buddha because we have no way of knowing for sure whether this was the, the Buddha's teaching or not. At any rate, it's, it's quite clear that this is an ancient technique around the time that the Buddha was said to live and by all uh, external appearances, this is what the Buddha taught. So the, the, we have this teaching called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and it's always important for us to come back to this. This is really the basis of the Buddha's meditation practice. How we know this is because not only did the Buddha teach it and not only did he stress that this practice and, and repeatedly encourage people to practice the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, but he also gave clear instruction as to uh, the benefits and, and the purpose and the real nature of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in terms of calling it the Ekayana Magga. And the Ekayana Magga has, has been variously translated as the direct path, even the only way, the one way a path that only goes in one direction, it's the sure path. It has many meanings. But the Buddha never said this about any other meditation technique. He, he, he was very specific about the four foundations of mindfulness, that this is the direct way to become free from suffering. And he said specifically that this is the direct way for five goals, five aims that that we hope to achieve. So first of all, before I go into into the, the aims of, of mindfulness meditation, just to explain briefly for those who don't know what are the four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness simply mean those four groups of objects that are valid um, to, to use in the, in the development of mindfulness. When we're trying to create this clear awareness, this bare um, understanding of things as they are, we can use any one of these four objects. And, and basically it's one way of describing reality or, or categorizing reality, breaking it up into parts to make it easy to to acknowledge, easy to catch, to, to label. When something arises, we know where it fits in, and so we know how to acknowledge it. And the first one is body, and this refers to any movement of the body or any posture of the body. When we're sitting, this is part of the body. When we uh, bend, this is part of the body. When we stand up, this is part of the body. When our belly rises, this is the body. Even when we feel hot or cold, this is part of the body. When we walk, when we eat, when we talk, 
when we uh, when we go to the washroom, when we brush our teeth, and so on, when we eat food, this is all part of uh, part of the body. This is all comes under the body. So being aware of these things is the first and 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 quite important meditation practice. And we can do this even when we're not meditating. The second is the feelings, when we're mindful of happy feelings, unhappy feelings, pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, calm feelings, peaceful feelings. The third one is the mind, being aware and, and, and recognizing thoughts for what they are. When we're distracted, when our minds are focused when we have good thoughts or bad thoughts thinking about the past or future just knowing that it's a thought and the fourth one is the the dhammas or the the rest of the stuff those other things that are going to come up in the practice dhamma really means the teaching of the buddha but here the buddha use this as a category to, to put together everything else that's going to come up or to lead one uh, further on the path towards the Dhamma to incorporate the teaching into one's practice so first we have the teaching on the hindrances this is a very important teaching that we're going to have to use in our observation of reality these are things that are going to get in the way of our practice so when we have liking or disliking, drowsiness, distraction, doubt, all of these we have to be very clear to, to see as they see for what they are and to not follow after, to not encourage and to not develop. Next one is this the senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, being mindful of these as well. And so on. There there are many teachings that will come in useful and we can develop as we practice these four are the four foundations mindfulness is just the recognition of things as they are is the bare recognition of things as they are so people ask you know I, I, I know when I feel pain I know that I'm feeling pain why do I have to say to myself pain 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 why do I have to practice meditation why can't I just sit there and know that I'm in pain and the point is that when you know that you're in pain, there's an idea that I am in pain, and it's mine. And so we, we attach to it as being a, a bad thing, as being a problem for me. If it's yours, then you have a problem. If pain really were yours, then you would have a problem. But since the pain is not yours, it's not. there's no reason to understand it in this way. It's something that arises and ceases. It's not yours in any way, shape, or form. We, we have to change our minds. We have to actually adjust our uh, reaction, our um, understanding of the object, so that we simply see it for what it is. And this is what meditation is for. It's the um, adjusting of the mind, straightening of the mind. The mind is not straight by nature. It's crooked. We're always trying to get away or weasel our way out of things so that we don't have to suffer, so that we don't have to deal with difficult situations.
Our mind is not straight. We have to work to straighten it. So this is why we say to ourselves, pain, pain, pain. It's to teach ourselves that it's just pain. So mindfulness is a, a bare recognition. Recognizing something just for what it is. Not just recognizing it and then going on and liking or disliking it. But stopping yourself at the bare awareness. The, the, the simple knowledge uh, of, of the object for what it is. This is what it means to be mindful. So why did the Buddha say we should practice these four things or, or this practice? The Buddha said when you walk you should know I'm walking. This is walking. When we say walking, walking, we remind ourselves that we're walking. It's that it's just walking. It's not good, it's not bad. It's, um, and not letting our minds wander, not letting our minds make more of anything than what it is. When we feel a pain, we know that there's a pain. And when we're thinking, we know that we're thinking. We know it for what it is. Why did the Buddha say that we have to do this? Buddha said, Patisati Mataya Anisito Javiharati. We dwell simply knowing something, uh, simply being mindful, specifically of the object for what it is. Why do we do this? The Buddha said it leads to five benefits or five goals, the five goals of Buddhism, the five aims of the Buddha's teaching. And these are, first of all, it purifies the mind. This is really the biggest reason why we practice meditation. This is, I would say, the defining point of Buddhism. And there, I would say Hinduism talks something about purifying the mind. And that's possibly because of the, the intertwined nature between the Buddhist teaching and uh, Hinduism growing up together. They're like an older and a younger brother, older and younger siblings. So they share some of the same qualities, but the, the defining factor of Buddhism is the purification of the mind. That's the core of Buddhism. And the Buddha went into great detail about you know, what are mental impurities, how to practice to purify the mind, and what is required to be considered pure of mind. It's not just that we sit quietly and we don't get angry or greedy. It's that we fully understand everything around of us so that we will never become angry or greedy again. So that we will never see things as more than what they are. We'll never mistake things for being other than what they are. And so this is the, the most important reason for us to practice mindfulness. And this is what we have to agree with to practice Buddhism. To say that we're Buddhist, we're practicing Buddhist teaching, we have to get our minds around this idea of the purity of mind. This is what we're striving for. We're not going to sit there just to feel happy for a while. We're not coming to practice to gain magical powers or read people's minds or see heaven, see hell, fly through the air or whatever. We're not practicing to um, to see special sights. I read something today. These people were asking this meditation teacher, a monk, <coughs> um, you know, why? What's wrong with 
hallucin hallucin hallucinogenic drugs. When we take these drugs, we are, it it heightens our visions. We actually see things clearer, and it, it allows us to to you know to gain um, these these visions even 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 more profoundly. And the monk turned and looked at them and said, "You don't need drugs to hallucinate. You're hallucinating already." And I think I think that's that separates what we're doing from what what the ordinary person who's never had any instruction in Buddhist in Buddhism uh, practices when they go to meditate. They're just looking to hallucinate, and and it's because they hallucinate already. They they, they don't see things for what they are. They don't understand that this is meaningless. That whatever we gain in our meditation, we're just going to lose again. And the exception being wisdom. Because once we understand that it would, that this is true, and whatever we gain, we lose, then that wisdom is something we'll never lose. We'll never cling to anything. We'll be able to see things for what they are. So meditation practice purifies the mind. This is the most important. Because when we're saying to ourselves, pain, 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 we're not upset about the pain. When we're upset and we say to ourselves, upset, 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 we're not upset about the upset. Wherever we catch ourselves, whatever our mind is doing right now, we stop it. We change the mind from this clinging running around in circles this, this cycle of suffering we break free from the cycle this is why we meditate and the truth is once your mind is pure you don't need anything else there's no other there's four more benefits but really they're meaningless once your mind is pure because whatever I'm going to say next has to come from the purity of the mind there's nothing that isn't there's no positive thing that can't be had with the purity of the mind when your mind is pure, you're happy, you're at peace, you're free. You never fall back into suffering. But the question remains, you know, if we just said you become, uh, you, you become pure, it still doesn't make much sense. I mean, if that were the only thing that came from the practice, you just become pure, but you still have all sorts of suffering and so on. We have to explain what happens when you become pure, so there are four other benefits. It's not that purity isn't enough, it's just that when you become pure, there's more, there's more to it than that. The second one is that you do away with all sorts of mental distress, all sorts of mental sicknesses. The... the the, the greatest thing about meditation is that it, it heals the mind. It's like medication. Medication heals the body. Meditation heals the mind. It's a, it's a parallel. And so, people who suffer from depression, people who suffer from anxiety, people who suffer from uh, sadness, people who suffer from anger and so on hatred 
whatever mental sickness people will even take drugs or kill themselves because of these mental sicknesses depression is a mental illness I had a friend once who said, told me she was clinically depressed I got very upset at her when she told me she was clinically, uh, uh, cl clinically depressed because I mean, all that means is she went to a clinic and they told her she was depressed and of course doctors want to tell you you're clinically depressed because then suddenly it's a sickness but it's always a sickness we're, we're, we all have sickness sickness just means not well if you're a little bit sick you're still sick you're sick a little bit it's still a sickness getting anger in, according to Buddhism is a sickness <clears throat> but here we're talking about all of the the, the uh, labels that we put on our on our mental defilements the sicknesses depression people are depressed and they take medicine for it they'll kill themselves for it people are ins insomniac and so they'll take medication for it they'll destroy themselves by you know, stressing over their stress and not being able to sleep and meditation clears all of this up it may take a long time and it's certainly a gradual process but I guarantee if you practice meditation simply seeing things for what they are and really get this concept of seeing things just for what they are even just in a week or or two weeks if you're practicing a little bit every day you'll see a profound change in your outlook you'll still get stressed you'll still get depressed but it's no longer a monster it's still an enemy it's still a, an adversary but it's no longer your master you're no longer a slave to the emotion you just know that you're depressed and you let it go let it be as best you can and you get better and better at this and you realize that it's only a matter of time before you can make yourself understand that this depression, this stress, this anxiety, this sadness uh, disappears if you stick with it, if you understand this, that it's we're, we're not going to change our minds overnight but we're going to change the way we look at things overnight we're going to change our path overnight so that whereas before we were always making our problems worse now we're going to start making them better and they won't be better overnight but we've changed our, whole, our entire way of looking at things and our, our path from becoming more sick to becoming well the third benefit gets a little bit more um, more specific specifically speaking meditation according to the Buddha the four foundations of mindfulness leads to the, the end of physical and mental suffering so not only talking about the gross mental sicknesses illnesses all suffering is done away with according to the Buddha through this meditation practice whether it be physical suffering or mental suffering and you can verify this on a uh, basic level by yourself through the meditation practice I was mentioning to one of the meditators today about uh, his shoulders he said his shoulders had pain and I was explaining to him you know acknowledge it will go away and he really didn't I don't think he, he, he didn't um, 
what wasn't really you know sure you know understand it because it's something new and then I said have you ever been to 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 uh, a masseuse and he said yes I said does it hurt and he said yes I said this is just like that because we don't want to sit through the pain right we feel when pain comes in our shoulders it's something's wrong I have to sit against the wall maybe I have to stop meditating maybe it's too long But the, it's an amazing thing that when you sit through it, if you just watch the pain and let yourself be with it, you, you're able to change your, your, your bodily makeup. You're able to change your, your physical composition, the way your muscles work. Your muscles uh, heal themselves in a way. Because the reason why we tense up, why we're in pain, is because we keep tensing our muscles. Through our stress, we keep shifting them. We don't notice it, and we're always tensing and tensing and tensing, and so we're building up physical, physical tension, and also mental discontent, mental aversion. You know, this is bad. Shifting. This is worse. Shifting. This is terrible. Shifting until it becomes a real problem. Once we work that out, many of the pains in our bodies disappear and never come back. That's not to say we're not going to feel pain, but it's really a whole other playing field. Obviously, once we have no mental uh, defilements or, or anger in our minds, no judgments in our minds, then there's no mental uh, suffering. But physical suffering can be overcome as well through the practice. And ultimately when we pass away, according to Buddhist doctrine, a person who is still clinging will have to be born again. They continue on. They're carried on by their clinging. There's still fuel left to create further existence. But a person without clinging will not come back to be born. And so, you know, technically speaking, it is clearly a way to overcome physical suffering because in the end we we don't have to come back and live this life again and again and again and suffer again and again and again. The fourth benefit, the fourth aim of the practice is to attain the right path. So the Buddha said that the four foundations of mindfulness is the way to find the right path, the right method or, or means of living one's life. And this is really a bold statement. One thing, one of the things people don't like about the translation of, of Ekayana Magga as the only way is that they see that there are many ways always to the same goal. And just as there are many paths to the same city or so on, many roads leading to the same destination. And there was a Burmese monk who said, Yes, well, there's many roads, but they're all roads. You can't drive a car through the ditch and, and expect to get to your destination. And I think this is a good explanation of how we can justify saying mindfulness is the right path, it's the right way to live your life. Because we're not, talk, we're not telling you that being a monk is the right way to live your life or being a Buddhist is the right way to live your life. But we are saying that being mindful is the right way to live your life. 
seeing things for what they are is the right way to live your life. This is a profound teaching, I think. It's, it's throwing out the idea that you have to become a monk or you have to become this or that to live your life correctly. Some people will say, if you're not in our group, you're living your life wrong and you'll go to hell. Once you subscribe to our teachings, you will go to heaven. Just by saying, you know, agreeing with what we teach, being a part of our group, identifying yourself as this or that. In Buddhism, that's not the case. The Buddha didn't say, this is the right way to live your life, that's the right way to live your life. He said, mindfulness is the right way to live your life. And you can be anything you want. You can be a lawyer, a doctor, a, a businessman. You can be a king or a president. You can be a politician, whatever. If you're mindful, you're living your life correctly. And so, yes, it's being specific and saying, this is the right way and, and otherwise is the wrong way. But it's also being very general and saying, anyhow you, you want to live your life, just be mindful. It's the right way to live our life because then we see everything clearly. When people talk to us, we see clearly what's going on in their minds. When they say nasty things to us, we see there's something going on in their minds rather than be, being offended and upset by it. We're not afraid of people. We're not worried about them. We're not When people try to assert themselves power tripping over us or so on we don't feel threatened we don't feel uh, any need to accommodate ourselves to other people so we're able to you know, live our lives in, in, a, in a much more harmonious way we're not um, we're not slaves to our emotions and we're not slaves to other people and as a result, we can meet with great success in business, in, in our society, in, in our families. We're able to be a great support for people rather than being a burden. And so however we live our lives, we do it successfully. And the fifth benefit is that meditation leads to freedom or release. And this is nirvana. I think probably the best translation of nirvana I can think of is release. Because you know, freedom is it's often translated as freedom or explained as being freedom. But freedom is like there was something else oppressing you or holding you captive. Release means you, it has a two, a double meaning. Because in Buddhism, you you let go. You know, you're released from your attachment. We're like, we're like holding on to ourselves. We're, we're, only, we're only imprisoned by our own attachment. And I always say it's like a bird clinging to the side of the cliff. It's like a, you have a bird clinging to the side of the cliff afraid that it's going to fall. This is how we are as human beings. We're like a bird on the side of the cliff holding on for dear life because if it lets go, it thinks it's going to fall to its death. And meditation is, is letting go and realizing that you're not going to fall, you're going to fly. Realizing that we will let go of things, we're not going to lose everything, we're going to gain everything. 
when we don't worry anymore, when we don't stress over things, everything comes to us. We have these examples of the Buddha in, in, in his past lives, how he you know, gave up his kingdom, gave up his riches, gave up everything, and it all came back to him, just like a boomerang. It was like giving everything away and he was even more rich and more powerful than before. And you might think this is just a fairy tale or just a you know, means of indoctrinating people in you know, the art of giving. But it's, if you try it, you'll see it's, it's 100% spot on true. My students, they were talking about, we're going to give this big donation in September in Thailand. We're going to give 84 sets of robes costs a little bit over $9,000. And they were saying, you know, why don't we save up money? You know, if we do this, I want to help you, but we'd rather wait and help you build a monastery and we don't, we've only got limited funds. And I said, the limited funds come come from our our worry, come from our stress. I said, this world is full of money. It's full of, of riches. When you open up, when you open yourselves up to, to the uh, you know, generosity when your heart is, is, is wide, open wide you'll only gain you only stand to gain when you give and so we don't have to worry about the future or building a monastery or so on we give now we, we do good things now and, and more comes to us than ever before the more we give up the more we have if only the world would understand this, there would be no poverty, there would be no famine, there would be no problems in the world. If people understood how to share, it's like a, what they teach you in kindergarten, no? If only we knew how to share. But, but here more specifically, giving up. Not just sharing things in the sense that we still like them and we just want, you know, we're going to give up some of it, but we want some for ourselves. Giving up means giving up everything. It's not a physical thing. It's not material giving up. It's a giving up our attachments to things. Not, not needing things to be other than what they are. And in the end, giving up the whole universe. Giving up everything. Freeing ourselves from the fire of, of suffering. And we're like sitting with fire all around us. The Buddha said the eye is on fire. The ear is on fire. The nose is on fire, the tongue is on fire it's on fire with craving it's on fire with, with likes and dislikes and it's on fire with impermanence with the changes because nothing lasts but the thing about fire is if you don't, what we learn as a kid is if you don't touch it, it doesn't burn you you have to make the, the, mo the movement if you don't grab onto the fire it can't burn you if you don't come into contact with it, with you, it can't make you suffer. And this is what the Buddha's meaning of the word suffering. Buddha said, everything in the world is suffering. Everything is suffering, basically. Every, everything that arises is suffering. And that doesn't mean that, that, that sitting here is, is, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling is, is, is a painful thing. What he meant is it's fire. When you grab it, when you hold on to it, when you need it, when you want it, like it, hate it, so on. That you, it can only make you suffer. There's nothing you can do with it that's going to make you happy. 
There's no adjustments you can make to the universe that are going to make it better. It's the adjusting, the messing, the forcing, the controlling that causes all the problems for us and for the world. And so nirvana is the, the, the real goal here, to let go of the fire and to f fly free like a bird rather than clinging on, worried that we're going to fall. So that's the teaching for tonight. A little bit more extended, but that's a fairly important topic. I hope we've been able to broadcast that, and hopefully it'll be up on YouTube as well. So now we'll get back to our meditation practice. First, mindful prostration, then walking, and then sitting. <coughs> 